Good morning, Calvary. Full parking lot, full house. We're glad to have you today, even though it rained outside today. Thanks for being here as we continue on with our series, Sincerely Paul. But before we get to that, I want to do a little challenge like I did last week. And um, in this challenge, what, what I want you to understand is our mission statement around here is followers making followers of Jesus. And the way that we know that we're doing that well is a couple subsidiary comments. One of those you know really well, which is followers share what they followers share what they know. Well, that's our evangelism model. And last week we challenged you, make sure that you're investing in someone's life. Try to find someone that you're reaching out to, that you're investing in and praying for, so that God can use you to transform the world around you. Another one of our statements around here is followers follow Jesus. That's our discipleship model. As you stay connected to Jesus, your life will become more and more like him. Another one is followers serve God and others. As you understand what Jesus is doing, you don't make the world about you, but you live for the glory of God and want to serve others. And the fourth one is the area I want to challenge us today, and that's that followers give sacrificially. And some of you are immediately angst coming on you. Here's what I would like to say. Um, God is faithful, and what we want is for you to see how good he is. So in Psalm 67, 1, this is the verse we like. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us. That's what we want. We want God to, to bless your life and to shine down on your life. And there's people who are praying for you today. There's a sweet lady in Texas named Miss Barbara who is praying for you today. One of my mom's dear friends, prayer warrior. Shout out to Miss Barbara. There are people all over this globe who are praying even for churches just like ours that you might know how good he is. But the second part of that verse isn't so that you can have everything like you want. It says, may he make his face shine upon us so that you, your way may be known on the earth and your salvation to among all nations. You see, the reason we give is for the glory of God. For the first time in 10 years, our budget's a little behind. Behind to the place where we're having to alter some of our programming. And it's not because we don't have a room full of people. It's because of inflation. We had some people move. We're a very transient community. But it's time to ask you simply, are you willing to give for the glory of God? Here's the good news. We're not that far off. If we just averaged every single person in this room giving $10 more a week per person, we'd be where we need to be. $10 more a week amounts to a burrito at Chipotle, a movie ticket, or a Coke at the Purdue game. <laughs> but I realize if you have six kids, you may not be able to do that. And we're not trying to tap somebody's shoulder for a generous gift. We've actually been able to sustain ourselves this year because we've had a few generous gifts come in. But what we're really challenging you to do is, if God is worth everything, would you climb the ladder of giving? And what we mean by that is we have a slide that we always challenge people to, to follow. And that's if you've never given, give something. If you've given something, then learn to give regular, then learn to give a percentage, and then increase your per percentage, and then give generously, because today I'm asking us all simply to ask God, what would you have us do so that the kids don't have to worry about transportation to camp, so that our children's ministry is fully funded, so that we're able to help with the benevolence needs of our community, so that we're able to fully fund the missionaries we've committed support to around the globe. Okay? So a burrito a week per person. If you can pray to that, maybe skip Culver's this week. Don't tell them I said that. 
But would you just pray and ask God, what do you want me to do? God, would you be with us today? Help us to see how good and faithful you are. And God, right now, I know that there's some who are probably like, oh, money. God, help us to wrestle with why we feel that way. God, I pray that this is not about anything but your glory. May you be known. God, you are faithful, and we ask for you to shine upon us so that we can live for you in the world like we should. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we continue on with our sincere, uh, series, Sincerely Paul, we're actually covering the book of Colossians, and here's the cool part about Colossians. Colossians is about, is Christ worth everything? Do we see Christ's worth above every other thing? Now hear me, I like a good football game, boiler up, right? And I, I'm all about the boilers, but do we see Christ as more than our football team? Do we see Christ more than our family life, our free time, our bank account? Do we see Christ as preeminent? And, and the reason that Paul's addressing this, he's addressing to a group of people he's never been in their presence. A man by the name of Paphras comes and visits Paul in prison. And when he visits Paul in prison, Paul coins a letter to them. And in Colossians chapter 1, he details of how Christ is our hope. And he says, even though I haven't met you, I love you. Isn't that cool? I haven't met you, but I love you because I hear of how God is moving in you. In Colossians chapter 2, he details much of what we talked about last week in the book of Philippians about how we're to have joy in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trial times. We do realize suffering happens, right? And some of us, our suffering is that our team lost by one to Alabama yesterday. I want that safety back. Some of, that's not really suffering. You do realize that, right? Some of us really have suffering. The cancer diagnosis, marriage on the rocks, a loss of a job impending. In the midst of all that suffering, the Bible commends us that we can have joy, and there will be seasons when you'll have suffering, so how do we prepare for that? In Colossians chapter 3, he gives us how to have joy. This is the application of what we talked about last week in Philippians, that we are called to have joy in every circumstances, which is the fruit of the Spirit, which is what we talked about in Galatians two weeks ago. You see how these build? And in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, here's how we have joy in every circumstance. So, if you have been raised with Christ, he's speaking to those who are already followers of Jesus, Christians. Seek the things above where Christ is. Seat at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. I love verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, it, the implication there is Christ is the preeminent factor of your life. He is the dominant source of where you are putting your mind's attention and your heart's affection. Christ, who is your life, and the way we get that, as he says, is you have died to your old way of life and you are being raised to a new life. We symbolize that in baptism. I know, how, I know it because I talk about this all the time and I do this hand motion all the time. We are dying to ourselves and being raised to a new life. That is amazing. That is, God still does amazing things in our life. God works in amazing ways. And so, as we are dying to the old ways of life, we are a new creation. As we are dying to the old way of lives, the way that we used to live, we no longer live. 
And then this produces a closeness, a presence to God. And the presence of God allows us to draw into the power of the Holy Spirit. And that illuminates in our life the characteristics found in the fruit of the Holy Spirit that we talked about in Galatians two weeks ago. Go watch the sermon. But peace, patience, joy, kindness, anything that's good. All right? And as we unfold that into our life, and as we come to understanding the way this works is, seek the things above where Christ is. Seek the things above. How do we do that? By set your mind on things above. Once again, have a hobby. Go to a movie. Learn how to sew or cook. I would need both of those. <laughs> Laugh with your children Go out and have a celebration at your daughter's wedding. Learn how to fly a plane. Some of you shouldn't. <laughs> but through all of that, set your minds on things above because this life, this earth is not our home. So, <coughs> excuse me, the implication there is, so if you've been raised, implies we are identifying ourselves as follower of Jesus and we are raised to a new life in him. But you know, I think the church struggles a lot with what that looks like and what we associate as being raised with Christ as the next life. We, we somehow view our salvation as a get-out-of-jail-free card like life is a game of Monopoly. And when this life is over, we're going to end up in jail, except we have the get-out-of-jail-free card. Woo! But that's not salvation as is described by the Bible. Salvation is when we die to our old self and are raised to a new life, not in the next life, although that happens too, but raised to new life here and now. Salvation begins here and now. So Daniel, if salvation begins here and now, why is it that when I follow Jesus, do I still struggle with my faith? Why am I struggling with this idea of what it looks like to have hope and peace and joy? This is a process known as sanctification. Big, big churchy word. Some of you are like, I like the words that are churchy. Some of you are like, just tell me what it means. Well, if sanctification is the process of us getting a forward look into our completion. That's from Preston Perry. I like that. Sanctification is the process of us getting a forward look into our completion we will struggle on this earth. That's why the Bible also says in Philippians, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We are saved both now and forevermore. Amen? But we have not yet arrived to the completion of our salvation, which is why we need sanctification, why we need to work on being drawn into the presence of God. The way that we practice this around here is something called the discipleship pathway. Drew and his team have done a great job of implementing this. We have uh, kindergarten milestones, fifth grade milestones, looking over there, the other third grade milestones, ask Drew, he'll know more. We have all these milestones, we have men's ministry, women's ministry, we have small groups, we have, we have ways for you to be connected in learning, training, and community. And when we look at those three elements, here's the exciting part. If I say, who wants a community? Even the most introverted introvert person in the room still wants a community. Extroverts, it is a lie that introverts don't like people. How do you know? I'm an introvert. I love people. I love community. I just recharge my battery alone. So don't, don't, don't lie and say, well, you don't like people. I love people. Invite me to your house. Not all of you at once. That'd be, whew. But I'd love to hang with you. 
Community is something that most of us, in fact, all of us need and long for. Most of us like learning. You know how I know? Because we're always learning something. We're picking up the new hobby. We're learning how to, to cook a little better. We're on Pinterest for ideas. We're, we're trying to find what is the latest fashion so we could go shopping. We, we try to learn how to throw that disc just right if you're a disc golfer. It's really frustrating me right now. It's this idea of what it really looks like. We, we naturally learn, right? Learning about God draws us closer into his presence. So learning is not an obstacle. But if I'm looking at learning, training, and community, the one that gives us the most angst usually is training. Because training implies I've got to learn something and do something that is uncomfortable with me. When someone lifts weights, right? The old adage, you're training, you're lifting weights. What you're actually doing, some of you are like, duh, Daniel, I've heard this forever. Some of you may have never heard this before, but when you're actually lifting weights, you're actually tearing the muscle, which allows it to grow back stronger. Think about that. So when we're training the discipline of following God, when we're setting our mind on things above, this is the training process. This is what Paul is talking about. He's saying sometimes you've got to tear something in your life so that it can grow back in a healthy and stronger way. Training should make you uncomfortable. So when we're setting our minds on, on Christ, this is how we do it. See, our spiritual training is important. And our spiritual training now prepares us for the life that is to come. You want a glimpse of what eternity will look like? You've got to train yourself to be drawn closer to God. And through the training, we will become more like Him. But you know the cool part of that? Focused training will not only make us more like Him, focused training will allow the excess baggage to fall away. Isn't that cool? Like, we get that. When, when, when I train and work out a lot, I, I lose excess baggage. Thanks for noticing. As we're training, this is what happens. We, we, so what does the excess baggage look, for, look like for Christians? Colossians 3, 5 through 10. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things, you were living in them. These were the dominant themes of your life. It was how many girls can I chase? How many guys can I chase? How much money can I have in my bank account? But as you're a follower of Jesus, you're learning to die to those things. And as a result, the next list comes in, and we start seeing, oh, are these evidence, these characteristics still found in your life? Because they're signs that you haven't really died to the old way as much as you think. But now... Put away all the following. Everybody fasten your seatbelt. It's about to get bumpy. Anger. I'm not angry, right? Wrath. Malice. Slander. Did you just call me an angry person? And filthy language. I got a word for you from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self. Since you have put off the old self and its practices and have put on the new self, you are being renewed and the knowledge according to the image of of the creator. You're being renewed. So what does this look like for us to renew, to, to come to train, to realize what it looks like to follow him? The idea of renewal is important because it implies seasons. And here's the, the rabbit we're going to chase for just a moment. Do you know why a lot of people walk away from Christ? It's because they don't understand the process of sanctification, the process of being drawn closer into the presence of God. And so what happens is we go, I'm going to come to Jesus. I came to Jesus, and in that moment, like, your, your, 
got goosebumps, and you're all excited, and yeah, I'm ready to get baptized, and you go tell your friends about Christ, and you're really growing, and then all of a sudden, something happens in your life, and you hit a bump, and you're going, man, if Jesus is so good, why, why am I still struggling with? If Jesus is so good, and so then we, we start to walk away, because we haven't trained ourselves to understand there are seasons of our life. Seasons are evidenced in the, in the moon, right? There are seasons when the moon is more full, and there's seasons when the moon is just a sliver. But you know what happens when the moon is full? People can see the man in the moon, and when you are full of Christ, people can see Jesus in you. But around here, beyond just the moon illustration, I want to talk about the seasons of farming because, well, we live in the middle of Indiana. Have you noticed there's a lot of farms around here? A lot of corn. It's really, really cool and soybeans. But in the seasons of farming, here's what I want you to realize. There's a fall, winter, spring, and summer. And some of you right now are struggling with your faith because you're in a season of winter. And it's like, God, I feel like the dreary is never going to end. It's like overcast in my soul every single day. When is the sun going to peek through? When can I go out and do something exciting? But don't worry, because spring is coming. So what do you do in a season of winter? You set your mind on things above with hope that one day will come, the spring will come, and you'll get to plant some seeds of life into your soul. And spring comes. And so you start going, okay, I think God is starting to move, and God is starting to move in my kids. They didn't yell at me today. God is starting to move in my, my marriage because we're getting along better. And so you start planting the seeds, and you start really trying to grow, and you're trusting God in the process. And then the season of summer comes, and it's sunshine, and you really are no, you're beyond just a seed stage, right? You're, you're going out and going, oh, there's, there's evidence. I, I see the crops out of the ground, and, and God's beginning to move. And then the harvest comes, and this is a place where you're like, God, you are so good, and the praise comes as a natural outpouring of your soul. God, I, I'm so thankful for the bounty of your life, and currently, I'll be honest with you, I'm in a season of fall, of harvest, and it's a great season, and I'm so excited to be in it, but you know what I know is around the corner? Winter. Because life is seasons. Who is the God of winter? The same God is the God of the fall. Of the harvest. No matter what season you are, God does not change. And the sanctification process works like this. There's some part of your life you're going to have to die to. And when you die, it may feel like winter. You lose friends. You're really struggling. You're trying, but, but in doing so, you're putting seeds into your faith, and you're saying, okay, I'm going to stay steadfast. I'm going to stay focused on Christ. And as you begin to do that, God begins to do amazing things. And then as the spring turns into summer, you start going, look at all the, the danger. If you're in a season of summer, is you sit there and going, look what I did. You did nothing. Well, you did. The farmer works the land, but God grows the crop. You, you may have stayed steadfast for a while, but, but don't think that you're the one growing that crops, right? Because God grows the crops. And when the harvest comes, that's when we pause and we rejoice in the glory of what God is doing. You see, setting your mind on things above requires a diligence no matter what the season of your soul. You allow God to grow something new and fresh in your life. But you know what else, another lesson I learned from the farmers? 
You can't do it on your own. Because there may come a season when the, the soul, the season of your soul is in a season of winter. But it's time to bring in some crops. You know what happens when that happens? If a farmer loses a spouse or something, you know what happens if the farmers don't go, oh, too bad. <laughs> Hope you have a good time bringing up those harvests by yourself. No. If a, a farmer loses their spouse or something along those lines happens, if a farmer has a tragedy in his life, the next Saturday morning, you're going to look up, because there'll be a story on WLFI, and there'll be 21 farmers lined up with their combines ready to help the, the farmer out. I love the farmers. Right? Which is why this next verse is so important, even though it looks out of place. As he's talking about the importance of training, he's been talking about the importance of training in community so the next, very next verse, after we've died to ourselves, says in Colossians 3.11, In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all and in all. You see, focus training necessitates belonging to a community. Do you want to know why you're staying in a season of winter? Because you aren't trusting the community. You want to know why you're staying in a season of winter? It's because you weren't trusting God by planting some seed out to allow Him to grow the bounty of your soul. You want to know why you struggle finding the church as a body of believers? It's because you're trying to manufacture this lie in your head that says, everyone should accept me for who I am. That's not the purpose of the church. Now hear me. The discipleship pathway it requires learning, training, and community. But you want to know where a lot of churches get it wrong? community becomes the idol in which the church aspires. And that's the place where we show up and we go, everyone should love me. Everyone should cater to my needs. Everyone should believe what I believe. And so we become a group of saints who really are ain'ts and gather together to try to glorify ourselves because we don't really want to be challenged by the gospel. We want to be placated into a place of comfort, all the while denying what God wants to do in our soul. And then we cry and bemoan the fact that we stay in a season of winter. Church, community challenges each other. It just does. You know the other cool part about community? You buy into the mission. And so if the church is just a community that gathers together where people accept you, that's not the mission. And you'll never find the peace there. But you know what happens when you buy in? You saw it yesterday down the road. What do you mean you want me to pay money for a ticket? What do you mean you want me to pay $9 for a Coke? Oh, look, Purdue scored. Yay. Oh, yay, yay, yay. Go, go, Purdue. No, when Purdue scored a touchdown by a certain tight end, everybody yelled. Shout out. Everybody yelled and was excited. I was excited. And so you no one had to say, get to your feet and get excited. I didn't mean to jump there. I'm trying not to do that. But when we come in here, our response is, oh God, you're so good. Because we buy into the place of coming, we want to gather with a group of people who are like-minded and find community instead of finding Christ as evidence is found in the community. And the way this works, if we don't do it, is we'll become church hoppers. I love it. Uh, Drew showed me this text, uh, this tweet this last week by Scott Sauls, who said, he was asked, how do you find a gospel-centered church? 
And he says, find a church that preaches Jesus and stay there and don't leave. But they said something I don't agree with. Family doesn't always agree. Matter of fact, most families put the fun in dysfunction. And so does church. Church is full of hypocrites. That's why we need sanctifications. And rather than bouncing, what you can do is try to help that person know how to follow Christ. And by the way, you need to allow them to speak into your life. So as this unfolds, what happens is we get in small groups. We make our children, make our children go to student community. Why? You're the parent. You would give them the choice of whether or not to go to school. Make them go, but they'll resent God. Do they resent their teachers? Yes, they'll get over it, and as an adult, they'll be thankful. And Sai is pretty fun, most of the time. His wife's always fun. Make them come. Allow your children to be around godly people and, and, and invest in the church. Give, serve, sacrifice, and, and realize what it looks like for a community to gather together. Don't just be a, a bump on a log once a week, once a month, or if it's not raining, or Christmas and Easter. You want to see God move? You've got to invest. Be involved in men's ministry and women's ministry. It's not too late. They'll start this Wednesday. Men's ministry started last week, but we're men. We're a week behind. Show up this week. There's a, a place for you to get invested and find, and then when you do it, you have to be authentic. What does a godly community look like? It has vulnerability. They accept you for who you are. And you know, sometimes it hurts because if you're throwing a pity party, they might say, you're throwing a pity party. Or you're complaining about somebody else, they'll be like, bro, look at the plank in your own eye. It's twice the size of what they're wearing. And sometimes they'll sit with you and sometimes they will even give you bad advice. But we still need each other. So when I read this next text, what it looks like, Paul is addressing what it looks like for us to put our mindset on Christ. And normally I ask you to think, don't think what your neighbor is thinking. But I want you to realize that he's writing this to the church, not just to you. And this is what our small groups, our student community, our children's ministry, our men's ministry, our women's ministry, our coffee table conversation should be about. As you're rocking a baby in the nursery, the conversations we should have are this. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, not one, as God's chosen ones, us, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, or, sounds familiar, fruit of the Spirit, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, the opposite of cancel culture, and if anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also able to forgive. And above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts, and be thankful let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. In other words, share God's word. Don't just give advice. Speak the word of God. Speak the wisdom of God as permeated by the Holy Spirit in your life into each other's lives. Man, you're struggling? Here's some scripture to help you out. Text your scripture to your small group. Text people to help them know, okay? As you're doing all of these things, and then what it results is psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude and hearts. Worship. Hail, hail to old... No! 
God, you're good. Our glory, the loudest song we should sing should never be the Purdue fight song. Wrestle with that one. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God and Father through him. Real quick as I wrap this up, three ways that we can keep our minds set on Christ. First, focus on God's kingdom will lead to transformation and growth in our character. Focusing on God's kingdom will lead to transformation. You've got to allow, you've got to look for transformation. And transformation's hard. You know how I know it? I used to own a transformer as a kid. If you don't know what transformers are, they're these little stupid Rubik's Cubes type things that go from a, a, like a boat to a robot or a, a Volkswagen Beetle to a robot and they have weapons and it was really cool and all my friends had them and I could never do that because I can read books at really high levels but I can't follow instructions which is why Ikea is a curse word in my house. <laughs> I love Ikea people. I love Ikea furniture. Don't ask me to put it together. And so in the struggle of that transformation, what I realized is I can't always do this, and so I need people to show me how to transform my life. But I don't want to go to celebrate recovery. They might know I have an addiction. I don't want to open up to a small group. They might think I'm not perfect. They're not perfect either. They might think my kids are brats. Theirs are too. <laughs> Made in the image of God, and we love them. Focus kingdom requires transformation. Focus on kingdom, God's kingdom will lead us to um, deeper into God's peace. Verse 14 there. The, the gift of love that draws us into peace. You know you're doing it well when you're not excusing sin, but you're not speaking out of anger and sin. Sanctification requires you to say, in love, here's some areas you want to change. Not in anger, you're wrong, I'm right. The small group that's willing to walk beside you and say the hard things to you loves you. They are not against you. Could they be wrong? Yes. But that's how you know you're in a good small group. Finally, focusing on God's kingdom will lead us to a life of worship. Sanctification is learning how to worship God in every aspect of our life for the glory of his renown. So church, when we challenge you, and thanks for giving me the space to say the hard things, a lot of churches may have thrown tomatoes. Not really. But I believe that God looks down at you and cares immensely for you. And I get that, that we're in different seasons of life and, and some of you are like, God is so good and you're naturally rejoicing. And man, I, I'm thrilled for you. I want to rejoice with you. I want to celebrate as your, your son or your daughter is baptized, as the the grandbaby is born or, or the child um, comes to know Jesus. I, I want to celebrate with you that, that you have a milestone in your life that you've hit, a birthday. I want, I want to have the banquet with you and laugh with you and enjoy, but I know in the seasons of winter, I want to weave with you and I want community. I want us to be an authentic church that understands none of us are perfect. So as we unwrap this two kind of folds. I want you to understand real quickly what it looks like to transform your life, how to, to set your mind on things above in every season. Let me be very clear. I'm going to repeat this. If you're in a season of winter, you want to stay in winter? Stay feeling sorry for yourself. 
Don't put any seeds in the ground. Don't believe spring is coming. Stay isolated and alone and watch the soul of your heart stay barren. If you want to transform your life in winter, yeah, and sometimes it's okay to not be okay, but you go to a friend and say, I'm in a season of winter. Will you pray with me? And allow the frost to begin to melt. When spring comes, it's believing that God is going to do something. You know what the farmer doesn't do? They don't put the seed out, and the next day go, it's not here. I put the seed out yesterday. Where is it? Right? They water it. They work the ground. They believe that God is going to do something. So stay focused as God begins to give you hope in the summer of your life. When you're seeing God move in amazing ways and you see the evidence of the crop, here's the temptation in that season. Look what I did. Once again, God grows the crops. The farmer works the land. Don't get distracted into thinking you're better than you are. Live for the glory of God. And in the season of harvest, tell someone. You know what's a sign of a healthy church? When someone's in a season of harvest and someone's in a season of winter and they can meet each other's needs. I mourn with you and I rejoice with you. That's how you know you got it. Don't apologize, but then give God the glory. Because the season of harvest is not about you getting fat, literally and figuratively. But it's realizing that God is moving. So here's our daily training. I want you to commit to focus training through the kingdom mindset or whatever the season of your soul is. And I want to do something today, create a little space. I'm about to pray. I'm going to ask Drew to come on up and I'm going to come up front. We're going to go ahead and have a time of response in this service. And if you just need a season of prayer, say, all you, you might just want to come up and say, and Sai, if you come up too, maybe the youth want to come talk to you. If you just want to come up and say, hey, I'm in a season of winter. That's all you want to say. Let's just pray for you. Don't be scared what people think. Okay? Or maybe you want to, to, to ask for a prayer request for someone who is in a season. Maybe you want to keep your life to Jesus, but we're going to actually give you the space in this room instead of waiting until the end of the service to come and respond even now, to allow God to begin to do something. And then we as a church are going to respond and worship. And we're going to do our best to love you, to cherish you, and to care for you. Would you allow that to happen? So God, would you move? Help us to sense your presence, your peace, Oh, God, I thank you for what you're doing here and now, and I ask that you would continue just to guard us and guide us and bless us as we chase after you. God, help us to set our mind on things above, not on things of this earth. To die to our old way and to be raised to new life. To rejoice, for you are good and holy and just, and you are our peace. Would you move even now? In your name we pray.